Welcome to the Safety Podcast. I'm Amelia Sullivan. One of the great things about the physical therapy profession is how many career options and paths one can take. Whether it's the setting, patient population, or specialty area, this profession offers a wide variety to its community. Today, we're talking to two professionals who chose to pursue a PhD after finishing PT school. Chris Lane is a PhD candidate, and Louise Toma completed her PhD and is now an assistant professor. Both are at the University of North Carolina. In this episode, we talked to Chris and Louise about their career journey, things to consider when pursuing a PhD, both personally and professionally, and advice they'd give to those interested in this professional path. Here's our discussion. So Chris and Louise, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, So first, um, I'll start with Chris. Can you just introduce yourself? um, And then Louise, you can go next. Yes. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. My name is Chris Lane, and I'm a, a second year PhD student in human movement science at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Um, I graduated from the physical therapy program at UNC Chapel Hill in 2019. And so I just went straight from the physical therapy program to the PhD program. So I'm going to try to consider myself a double heel in the next couple of years. Um, I'm from Fayetteville, North Carolina originally. I was born and raised in North Carolina. I grew up in a military family. Um, my mom is from South Korea. And my dad is from Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, I went to Wake Forest University for undergrad. I actually have my diploma up there now on the wall. Finally rearranged my room to get that there. But yeah, I enjoyed my time at Wake Forest. So yeah, go Deeks. And then yeah, straight, yeah. So then after Wake Forest, I went straight from there to the physical therapy program at UNC. So I guess that's going to be a, a little bit of a background, and I can go into any more detail if you want. Hi, I'm Louise Toma. I'm an assistant professor at the University of North Carolina in the Division of Physical Therapy, and um, I've been in this position now for about a year and a half. So before that, I was a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Delaware in their Department of Physical Therapy. And before that, I earned my DPT and PhD at the Ohio State University. Um, So I had a similar path to Chris in that I went kind of straight from undergrad to PT school to PhD um, and then did some extra training before this being my first faculty position at UNC. And currently I'm Chris's advisor. in his PhD. So we work together a lot. So thanks so much to you guys for joining me. So let's first dive right into telling me uh, at what point in your career uh, did you decide to pursue a PhD? So this applies to both of you. So I had some interest in research um, actually since high school. So I did a uh, research program. It's called Project Seed, but it was for um, disadvantaged high school students particularly those from a racial minority background. So I actually did some chemistry research through that program. So it gave me a bit of a taste of how research was like. So I started to become interested in research at that point. Um, the next time I already did more research was when I was in UNC Chapel Hill in the physical therapy program. So my first research experience was when I was a second year student. I did some research related to knee osteoarthritis. So really that exposure made me become a lot more interested in doing not only research, but also looking more at knee osteoarthritis itself. 
So I wanted to, I was considering um, doing a PhD at that point, but I became most strongly interested in it um, during my third year as I became more involved in the research. And so then I applied to the UNC Chapel Hill PhD program and luckily I was able to get in and start um, the PhD career after that. Yeah, so when I was in the physical therapy program at UNC Chapel Hill, I had a couple of research experiences. So one was with uh, Dr. Debbie Gibbons. So we worked with research related to knee osteoarthritis. And more specifically, we did research related to transcranial magnetic stimulation. This is just a way to stimulate the brain through magnetic fields. So it was very interesting research and it gave me more experience in how to process data and how to do data analysis and even had some experience presenting at uh, local and state conferences through that research. So that really sparked my interest in not only doing research, but also doing research related to knee osteoarthritis. So when I first, uh, so I applied to the UNC Chapel Hill PhD program when I was in my third year. So I was lucky enough to be able to get in. So in the beginning, um, Dr. Debbie Gibbons was my faculty advisor. And I did some more research related to um, transcranial magnetic stimulation and neuroexcitability. And then some of my research interests started to transition over to some other topics as I took more classes and even related to current events that's been going on too. So I started going more towards exercise and, and rehabilitation, then also health services and health disparities. So uh, Dr. Lise Toma ended up going and um, starting her first year at UNC Chapel Hill around that same time. So we in, ended up transitioning over. So Dr. Toma became my advisor and Dr. Gibbons still helps me out a lot, even to this day as well. So I was always interested in research and science, um, but I w went to a small undergraduate institution. So there wasn't a lot of undergraduate research going on there at the time. Um, so I had considered potentially pursuing research versus a, a PT degree after undergrad. And I ultimately decided, you know, PT was the right home for me. And that, that was definitely the correct decision. But I continued to be a somewhat interested in research. So in my program at Ohio State, we got exposure to research in our first year. So I got some exposure to some neuro research and Parkinson's um, disease. And then I pursued a research specialization just to kind of get more experience and understand if this is something I was really interested in. So I did a research specialization with uh, Dr. John Borstad with upper extremity biomechanics because I was also very interested in biomechanics. Um, and that was the best opportunity at the time. And then we have one more kind of extra experience that was available to us in our PT degree, which was a practicum, which was a non-clinical experience. And I did my practicum, which was the final part of my PT degree, um, as a, a full-time research experience at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And that was really pursuing um, some biomechanics research for, for young adults and adolescents with ACL injury with Mark Paterno and Laura Schmidt. And Laura Schmidt was a, a, a newer faculty member at Ohio State at the time. Um, so she wasn't there when I first started, but I was really interested in the work that she was doing. And so originally my plan, you know, I was doing research in that like last 
last eight weeks of my PT um, education, and my plan was to uh, pursue an ortho residency and get some experience in the clinic and then consider potentially returning for a PhD. Um, because of the timing of, of our graduations and most residencies, that wasn't, it wasn't all lined up yet. I still had to wait to apply. And during that research experience, which I really liked and really solidified my interest in, in pursuing research long-term, um, Laura found out that I was interested in a PhD eventually. And she offered me a position um, to start kind of right after I finished. So, so with, you know, just a couple weeks to go in my DPT degree, uh, I decided to return for the PhD. And so two weeks after I graduated, I was back in, back in school. So um, I did go straight through. However, that was not the plan all along. And um, I really just took advantage of an opportunity that I couldn't pass up with a great advisor and a great um, environment. And, and that's how I ultimately chose to pursue the PhD. And so this might be redundant, but you guys have both research is kind of the home base for pursuing this professional path, right? So beyond research and an interest there, uh, and Louise, you just mentioned making those connections and networking and, you know, kind of get being being shown opportunities. Uh, beyond that, is there any other reason why you, you personally chose to pursue this professional path? Yeah, so personally for me, I, I did feel like it, it was probably a pretty good spot to um, pursue a PhD. Um, at least in my, I guess my personal life, I, didn't, I, do not, I do not have my own family at the moment. So I did feel like I have more time to be able to pursue the PhD. Although, of course, a lot of PhD students also have their own family as well. But I did, I was considering um, either becoming a clinician, in the course right after graduating from physical therapy, from the physical therapy program or doing research. But I felt like it was probably better for me just to continue going through the school path since I thought that if I um, obtained a full-time job, I probably would not feel like going back afterwards. Although maybe, I don't know, I may just be afraid of going to the real world yet. <laughs> um, I probably left out one thing when I was talking about how I chose how I chose to pursue the PhD at the time that I did. And that was, I was, aside from the research, I was also always interested in teaching and um, becoming potentially a faculty member one day. And, and a PhD was one path to, to becoming um, a faculty member. So I would say when I first started, that was a, a major motivator for me also. And as I was in the PhD program, I um, got more and more exposure to research and kind of fell in love with the research side even more than when I started. Um, so that was part of it. Another um, part is during my PT degree, I really, I would say reflected on what I was looking for long-term um, for like long-term career fulfillment. And this was probably one of the first things I was considering when I was uh, considering pursuing a PhD and, um, and kind of what paths that could set me on, and what type of work would make me happy and fulfilled over the course of a career. So one of the things that really drew me to PH to the PhD and the the path that could lead out of having a PhD 
was that um, was that your work can constantly evolve and your career can constantly evolve. And so, you know, discoveries or new things you find this year might motivate the, the projects that you develop for next year. And what you're doing this year could be a lot different than what it is in five years. And so for me, that was important. I liked having that kind of um, exciting, potentially evolving sort of career where I know I'll always be involved in research and teaching and in clinic in some capacity, but that, that can evolve over time um, depending on what is really um, exciting at the time and where I think I can have the most contribution. And now for a quick break. APTA's combined sections meeting is virtual this year. By attending APTA CSM, you'll receive unlimited access to hundreds of educational sessions, posters, platforms, and you can earn up to two CEUs. Join us for the nation's largest physical therapy conference. Learn more at APTA.org CSM. Now let's return to the show. So both of you kind of touched on this a little bit, so it's okay if you repeat anything, but were there things that you considered personally and professionally when uh, choosing this path? And then um, also too, once you were in, you know, you're, Chris, you're in it now, Louise, you were, uh, were there things that you were having to like consider and again, personally, professionally um, throughout this experience? Yeah. So, pers- <clears throat> so yeah, so personally it was, yeah, more related to I thought I had maybe a little bit more time to work with since I didn't have a family at the time and uh, and do not at the moment. But also professionally, I wanted to increase my knowledge of the research and also be able to engage in more research. So physical therapy is certainly an evidence-based profession and relies a lot on the best research out there. But I really wanted to be involved in it myself. So that was one, one of the big reasons why I chose to pursue a PhD so I can increase my own knowledge, but also help other people increase their knowledge about the different interventions and examination techniques out there. So I think that there are several considerations that I made in considering this career path, both both personal and practical. Um, the first, personally, and this was probably what I thought about first, um, was my biggest priority was that long-term career fulfillment. You know, this was one of the first things I considered, what type of work would make me happy and fulfilled over the course of a career. But there, and ultimately, you know, I I decided that this, I think that, you know, PhD is going to give me all the skills and training that I need to create the career that's going to really make me happy. Um but beyond that, there's also some practical considerations, some of which Chris already mentioned, timing. So some people encourage me to get clinical experience first so that I would have um, that clinical foundation to base my research questions on. And that's valuable advice. There are many um, clinician scientists and PhDs, PhD students who work several years in the clinic, 10 years in the clinic, before they come back and do their PhD. And they have a lot of questions that they come um, come into the PhD program with because of all that experience. On the, on the other hand, I also had people that said, it's easier to stay in student mode when you're in student mode. And it's a lot harder to return to that 
once you have established a career, um, have kind of settled into life, maybe are raising a family and have other obligations and responsibilities. So I try to kind of balance both of those pieces of advice. Um, and since I initially wanted to get clinical experience before I returned, um, that, that was kind of pulling on my decision a little bit. So I discussed this with my advisor, potential advisor at the time, Dr. Schmidt, and I compromised by um, confirming that I could pursue some part-time clinical work during the PhD and so that I could get that clinical experience um, and that ended up being a really good balance for me. I was able to work upstairs in the clinic, see patients that kind of informed my work, work with clinicians that were um, working with the, the patient populations I was doing research in. And so it ended up being a really great place to balance both those clinical interests and the uh, research interests. Um, and ultimately, I, I took that advice of, uh, it's easier to stay in student mode. And also the opportunity kind of presented itself to me and it was such a great opportunity. I, could, I couldn't um, turn it down. And so sometimes you get lucky with some of these opportunities and you just have to consider, you know, is this the right time to take it? And for me, I decided that it was, it was the right opportunity and um, I, I could work with the timing and still get what I wanted. And then the other practical consideration to me initially was finances. So um, like many other students, I came out of PT school with a lot of student loans. That was how I um, lived and funded my DPT education. And so I had a lot of concerns about what it would mean to, to stay in school another four to five years um, and have those financial considerations. and. So one thing about the PhD is if, if you're in a funded position and most PhD programs and positions are, have a, like a graduate research assistantship or a graduate teaching assistantship. So that takes care of your tuition and does provide a small stipend that is typically close enough to live on. Um, and then the, the perk of being a clinician is that you have the potential to uh, supplement that stipend a bit with some clinical work that, that makes it a bit more comfortable to live. And so it was nice to know that I wasn't adding to my student loan debt during the PhD. There's still other considerations, interest in that sort of thing, but I wasn't adding with more and more loans like I was in PT school. So that was one um, assurance that I had. And then the other thing that I didn't really, I, I had a, some appreciation for at the time because my advisor had one of these awards, um, but that the NIH or the National Institutes of Health has a loan repayment program for clinicians that are doing primarily research. And so I knew that there was an opportunity if I stayed in research and was committed to it, that I could apply to this loan repayment program to help um, repay some of my loans. And so I continued to pursue that. I was awarded a two-year award for that. Um, and at the time, a two-year award meant $70,000 um, was paid for my student loans. And at this, at this point, depending on your debt amount, 
um, it's up to $100,000 for a two-year award, and then you can keep reapplying for these awards until um, your your debt has been completely repaid. So for me, that was um, an, another comfort knowing that there were opportunities unique to people who are pursuing research that would help me um, be able to kind of tackle that other barrier in my mind uh, of the financial aspect. And then um, what are some of the things I considered personally and professionally during my PhD? Um, one, one of the things I, I probably didn't appreciate until I was in my PhD was the different career paths that you could take after you're done. And so if you want to continue a research-focused career where you're pursuing grants and um, conducting, leading and developing and conducting research, then you likely need more research training after the PhD. And so I ultimately decided that's what I wanted to do, wanted to pursue. And so I did a postdoctoral fellowship after the PhD to get more research training um, and specifically more training on how to become this independent scientist who's leading uh, a research career. But that's not the only path. And so you could go into more of a teaching role where you're still involved in contributing to research, um, but carry more of a teaching load in our faculty at different programs. And um, that's the right fit for some people. And then there's also outside of academia, roles in industry, um, leading clinical research programs for uh, health systems. So more in, in, in health system practice. There's, I think that's a growing area of, of paths for physical therapists with a PhD. Um, and then industry with like, um, I, I have colleagues that are leading clinical research programs for um, industry uh, companies like digital therapeutics and, and other, other companies like that. So I think there's, I didn't appreciate all those different paths. And that was something I was, I considered dur during my PhD, you know, what, what does the next phase look like? And then what do I need to get there? Next question for both of you, can you describe your day-to-day? -day? So in the PhD program and now that you've completed the program? Yeah, so I guess that can be kind of tricky with um, the pandemic going on, that the kind of day-to-day -day can be kind of uh, weird at times. But um, just even currently, and I can talk about both now and also before the pandemic, how my day-to-day -day was like. So right now I'm able to do most of my responsibilities remotely, um, luckily so that most of my research responsibilities are related to doing more data collection, data analysis, mostly through larger data sets. So I'm not going in in person at the moment to collect data on subjects like some, some other PhD students um, are or might be doing. But I also do work in a clinic currently too as a um, part-time clinician. Um, I work about two half days a week, so about eight hours total. So I work with patients mostly with orthopedic conditions. So I think this is a great way to not only further develop my clinical skills, but to also even develop some of my research interests too, since really working with people is a great way to me of how to 
actually develop research interests and research aims for the future. Since ultimately that's really my goal is to be able to help other people. So really just looking at seeing them face to face and understanding what the problems are. But um, I also take courses as well now. Um, most of the courses are remote at the moment, but hopefully they'll be transitioning more to in-class um, in the future. But then to talk more about, I guess, um, day-to-day before the pandemic. So yeah, I would be um, working in the clinic part-time as well. Um, the courses would be in-person. I would also be doing more research responsibilities in-person too. But then even outside of um, those areas, there's also other meetings. Um, we also have a weekly roundtable with the PhD students and faculty in the adult health department in our university, which has been very helpful. Um, there's, of course, plenty of informal meetings with um, students and professors. Um, Dr. Toma and I, we meet um, weekly as well to talk about my progress and our projects going on. So there's, there's plenty of opportunities to talk to others, to develop um, interdisciplinary collaboration with other programs at UNC. So I wouldn't say every day is similar. A lot of times curveballs can happen and things change a lot, but uh, I'm definitely enjoying the program so far and how things are structured. Um, so what does the day today look like professionally for me now? Um, and in many ways, uh, other than making meetings virtual, I would say the pandemic has not uh, completely affected my life because at, the, at this time, we don't have a lot of in-person data collection um, that was planned, but, but that's, that could have been affected. Um, so in some ways, the day-to-day seems always the same, and in other ways, it's never the same. So it, in the ways that it's always the same, much of my day revolves around being at the computer, writing manuscripts or writing grants, reading current literature in my area of research, uh, reading and editing manuscripts from collaborators, uh, planning grants and projects, meeting with other researchers, and always lots and lots of email. Um, so in that way, like the the mechanics of the day seem a lot of the same um, and a lot of computer work. I would say there's also many ways though that it's constantly changing. You know, the ideas that I'm thinking about, what I'm writing, what I'm reading, that's constantly evolving. The projects that you're planning. So for me, that was one of the lures of, of pursuing a research career is that the work constantly evolves and um, progresses so that each year never quite looks like the year before and what you're doing in 10 years you probably aren't can't even anticipate right now and to me this is really exciting um i was confident that i was never going to get bored um so i might have scared some people off by saying that a lot of my time is spent at the computer writing and reading um but it's really the topics and the, the ideas and um, those those sorts of things that are always changing and you're trying to push push new innovations and discoveries and that's the part that's exciting. You you can't do any of that unless you read and write, um, and so that's just how you how you get there. Um, this is part of part of being in this uh, this career. 
So how about something you wished or, or a few things that you wished you knew before you pursued this career path? Yeah. So, well, actually one thing I guess would actually be what um, um, Dr. Thomas said earlier about that there could be plenty of opportunities as, after a PhD. So, I mean, I do, my ultimate goal right now is to be a faculty member at a university um, like UNC in the future. But yeah, there are other opportunities out there like industry and teaching too. So I don't have to just, I guess, sidle myself into one thing in the future. But to guess to think about something else um, would be that you know, really just having an open mind just with the research interest when you came come in to the PhD program. So, I mean, I didn't have a exactly a specific question like some people coming into the program, but I did end up changing my interest a bit when I started the program, kind of like what I said earlier. So I ended up going more from the, the newer side of knee osteoarthritis and chronic conditions, more towards the health services and disparity side. And I guess to kind of just describe more of why I transitioned over. So I took a health equity class, which was very interesting. And I always had an interest on health, dis um, on uh, disparities and on on things like racism and discrimination since I was in American ethnic studies minor when I was in Wake Forest University. But then a lot of the recent events through the COVID pandemic of how a lot of people from racial minority backgrounds tend to have worse outcomes related to COVID, such as um, getting COVID, getting be more likely to have COVID or having worse complications after COVID. And then also the recent events, uh, the tragic deaths of many uh, Black individuals um, related to policing. So that's opened a lot of people's eyes and also inspired me to learn more about racial disparities in different institutions. So I know we've been talking about like um, policing, criminal justice, but I also want to um, learn more about um, injustices in the healthcare system as well. But really, yeah, just having that open mind that you can, you don't have to just pursue one specific interest when you're in the PhD program. You can always broaden yourself out. And that was probably advice that I got when I started the physical therapy program, too, that you don't have to just pick one interest and go with it the whole time. You can branch out to other things, too. And a lot of my classmates ended up changing their interests over time as well. So even though a PhD tends to be more specific in the topic that you do ultimately pursue like with your, your dissertation but you don't have to feel like you have to know everything that you're doing right when you first start the program and I certainly didn't, didn't even know much about what how a dissertation even looked like or that we have other like comprehensive uh, comprehensive exams either so yeah I don't think you have to really know your whole life when you first start a PhD program yeah um I, I was just going to expand a little bit on what Chris just said, that that you don't need to feel like you're pigeonholed into one area when you pursue a PhD and have to know exactly what you want to research and what problems you want to solve. Ultimately, the PhD process um, and training is teaching you how to think about problems and how to um, work through different methods to help solve the problems that you want. So there are many examples within PT and outside of PT of people who 
do their PhD training in one area and end up pursuing research in another area. And maybe some of that kind of happened serendipitously. They kind of fell into a project and really became motivated in, in another area. Um, but that happens all the time. And, and one of the great, I think, um, the powerful things of, of PhD training is that it's training you to think just generally and scientifically. And that can be applied in many different ways once you're done. And so although you might um, have the content expertise on a very specific area when you're done with the PhD, you're also gaining all these skills in, in how to apply thinking um, to a broad, broad field of, of science and healthcare. Um, the other thing I wish I knew before I started my PhD program, and, and I don't think this would have changed any of my decisions that I made, but I think that I, I didn't appreciate it before I started was all the different areas of research PTs were leading. And, and in that way, I don't mean the roles that they were, they were in when they were leading the research. That could be the industry, academia, health system, there's many different roles, but also the types of research that people were doing. Um, for me, I was always very interested in biomechanics and lower extremity injuries. And so I, and, and in physical therapy, there are a lot of researchers that are experts in biomechanics, human movement, um, and lower extremity injuries. So it wasn't very hard to see many examples of these things that I had art, always had a little interest in. Um, but I didn't appreciate that there were so many kind of broader areas of research. Um, one specific one that, that I become more interested in at, through my PhD and postdoc and now as a faculty member is the health services side. How do we um, improve and advance how our healthcare and physical therapy is delivered so that we're getting the optimal outcomes? You know, that extends beyond what we're learning in the lab, but what's happening in the real world. And um, I, I didn't understand that, that there were people doing that. that. That was an area of research and that, that is, there are PTs in that area. I think uh, some of the newer initiatives and programs coming in partnership with APTA, like CoStar and the LEARN um, Network, they're, they're They've expanded that a lot more than that those didn't exist when I was um, looking into a PhD. So, so I think just getting an appreciation for all the different areas that that PTs are leading in, in neuroscience, in basic science. I mean, there are PTs there that are leading research in basic and animal science that's really um, driving some innovation. In, in like spinal cord injury research or, or brain injury research. It's not all just in human, um, human subjects research. So all of these different areas work together to ultimately improve the practice of physical therapy and the care of our patients. But it's something I did not appreciate beforehand. I think it's, uh, it's good if you're considering um, pursuing a PhD just to kind of explore what are the different things people are doing um, because it might be something that you hadn't ever considered. So now thinking about our listeners, whether they're in school still, they're a student, they're a new grad, or they're out practicing, why should someone consider this as a career path? 
Yeah, so well, with a PhD, yeah, it really does open up a lot of opportunities. So you can um, be a lead investigator on a research project. Um, it opens up more opportunities to teach at a, at a physical therapy program at a university. Um, you can coach, collaborate with many other individuals as well. Um, if you're interested in a particular topic or groups of topics, um, PhD is a great way to expand your knowledge and skills um, related to that project as well. But yeah, one of my um, current motivations right now and I guess goals uh, for the future is to um, try to encourage other students to pursue this path and especially um, students from disadvantaged backgrounds such as myself. So yeah, I don't think I explained this some earlier, but yeah, I'm a, a racial minority individual. I'm half um, black, half Asian. And I'm also a first-generation college student, too, um, first-generation um, graduate and undergraduate. So neither of my parents um, went to college. So in a way, a, a lot of my uh, path, a lot of, much of my path after high school was kind of not, kind of unknown to me in a way. It's really through mentorship from other programs and other people is how I was able to um, get through uh my undergraduate and graduate studies and felt like I was able to get pretty good success through it. But yeah, I want to be able to motivate others that even if there seems to be barriers to anything that you're trying to pursue, that there are ways to be able to overcome them. That yeah, even if you don't know what it's like or your parents may not know what it's like to go through um, a graduate or PhD program, there are resources out there. So like the programs, um, like the Project C that I was talking about when I was in high school, um, there was a first-generation program at Wake Forest called Magnolia Scholars that was very helpful. Um, there were scholarships at you know, UNC that also was very helpful to me um, financially, but also even just with support as well. And then even in the PhD program, I'm in the Royster Scholarship at UNC, and that's been not only a great financial support to me, but great support through the faculty and the other PhD students there too, that I'm able to get good mentorship. So yeah, really I want to not only be a, hopefully a successful faculty member, but I want to be a successful mentor as well and hopefully to inspire others to pursue a path like this. So um, it is, uh, I can see how it's an intimidating career path. To me, it was a bit intimidating also to make that decision. And it's not a career path to consider lightly. I mean, it's not a degree to get just to add letters to your uh, resume. It's pursuing a PhD is a, a four plus year commitment, depending on how you structure your program. And so it is a serious decision in that, you know, you're committing to pursuing this training opportunity. Um, but if it's something you're interested in and you like the um, the opportunities that come from that, it's don't be intimidated. There's a lot there's a lot to learn, and what, it's so exciting to push discoveries and innovation in physical therapy and healthcare. That's really what drives me and motivates me every day. How can we improve physical therapy and improve the lives and function of our patients? Um, in the short term and in the long term. There are so many questions that we have uh, that need to be answered and, and in so many ways, ways that 
the physical therapy practice has changed even in the last 10 years. And all of that has happened because of discoveries in research and science. And so there's so many ways to contribute to this research and discovery. So PhD is not the only path to contribute to, to research, but it is a path. And if you're interested in it, don't be shy to reach out and um, talk to PhD students, see what it's like, talk to different researchers, see what their paths were, what their day-to-day -day is. There's, it opens the doors to so many different types of opportunities um, that, that to me is really what makes this career exciting. All right, last question for you guys. So advice for our listeners, again, those thinking about pursuing this path, uh, whether immediately or in the future, uh, advice for them. I think if, if there was some advice I could give to students or even professionals that are interested in potentially pursuing a PhD, one piece of advice I would give is to take advantage of opportunities to be involved in research. Because this gives you kind of a sampling and exposure to what it would mean to kind of do this long term. Um, if you have the opportunity to contribute to to researchers in your area, or maybe even researchers not in your area, um, a lot more work can be done virtually now, as the pandemic has shown us. Um, but contributing to writing or analysis or ideas or or uh, data collection. Um, these are all ways to kind of get experience and, and help you kind of confirm that this is what you wanna pursue. Um, like I said, it's not, I know, I understand it's not a light decision, um, but there's ways to kind of explore that decision, just like exploring physical therapy as a career path before you went to PT school. There's ways to, to explore the, the research and PhD path. Um, before you make that decision too. And I would say in, in, in school, there's often more opportunities to kind of get involved. Um, I took advantage of some of those opportunities and ultimately I did not pursue the research that, that those opportunities were, but it did help me kind of solidify my decision that this is the type of work that I want to do. Um, and it gave me, gave me some, some um, opportunities to, to write or um, to, to think about these problems. So I, I would just say kind of getting some experience um, is helpful in, in helping make that decision as, if that's what you wanna pursue. Chris, I want you to answer the advice question too, but Louise just asking a, a follow-up question. So if a student yeah. is in PT school and they maybe aren't at a research university, um, they don't necessarily know of anybody. Uh, so like, how do, how do they do that without having the access that you guys had? That's a good question. Um, the, and I, I'm not sure if I will be the best one to answer it since I wasn't quite in that um, situation. But I think there are, there are still ways and opportunities to learn from people that are involved in research. And there's probably still some the smaller projects that could be happening at your um, program, like literature reviews, systematic reviews might be something some of your faculty might be interested in, in leading or are doing and could use some assistance with. So even if there's not large 
um, original research that's occurring, there's other ways to contribute to the research that still gives you valuable um, experience in, in reading the literature, appraising the literature, synthesizing what's already known, and how do we apply it to, to current practice. Um, other than that, you can also go to some of these uh, conferences at CSN, you can go to the research talks or I know at uh, the National Student Conclave too, they've, they've tried to bring some, some PhD students in to get, give some exposure in that way too. There's, and you know, there's always emailing different researchers. Um, most researchers I know are very happy to take an email or a meeting to um, talk about their experience and talk about their research. And often we're looking, I, sometimes PhD positions, it's not like PT programs where there's always um, a new cohort coming in. Sometimes some of these positions are dependent on research funding or other things that are happening at the university, but, but there's no harm in, in talking to a researcher because they might also be know other researchers that are in similar areas or may fit better with what your interests are that have opportunities. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to um, kind of get get your foot in the door and just try to get some experience. But you, there's also these aren't necessarily um, advertised widely. So. So it's hard to kind of find out about them unless you reach out to to people to just learn more about what they're doing. I think that is um, a piece of advice that I've gotten, which you know it's hard sometimes to kind of cold email someone or walk up to someone at at a conference. Uh, but that's a piece of advice that I've gotten, and actually how I ended up in the postdoctoral fellowship that I was in. So. Um, we're not scary people, um, so so feel free to reach out um, to someone who you you feel like they're they're doing really interesting things and you want to learn more about it, or they've had a, a really interesting path and you want to learn more about that. And then other PhD students are other people to talk to also. Yeah, even if it just is one conversation, you could probably acquire a good amount of information of just where to start and who else to talk to and. Uh, I'm sure you can connect on social media with people even. So, uh, so Chris, I want to go back to uh, advice uh, before we close. So do you have any advice for those thinking about or seeking uh, this path? Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess before I do that, I was just, I guess kind of, yeah, I would second um, everything that Louis said um, with the previous topic. Yeah, I also think that, yeah, I'm not sure if you said it or not, but yeah, just even being a subject in a research project too can be helpful. So there's a lot of times plenty of research projects going on related to the uh, university or even in the community. And a lot of times they like to recruit a lot of individuals and especially younger subjects too, because they can often be a good compare, comparison to some of the other individuals that they're researching. So I think yeah, being a subject can be helpful just to experience what it's like to be in the research environment. And at least for me, uh, being a, physical therapy patient was a good way for me to get exposure to physical therapy and probably one of the main reasons why I joined the profession in the first place. I'm actually I'm receiving PT interventions. 
So yeah, I think that could be another piece of advice for um, that. Um, let's see. Yeah. Any um, other advice? Yeah, I would just say that, yeah, you're definitely not alone in this process. So yeah, rather it's the support of other students. So reaching out to faculty and in your physical therapy program, you don't feel like you have to go through this path alone. So I mean, I had much um, assistance from my professors and my uh, PT advisor when I was in a PT student of how to apply. And I also talked to a student who also did a similar path of, she went straight from the PT program to the PhD program. So I had very good advice from her too about not only the application process, but also what it's like to be a PhD student. And I know uh, being a PT student can be um, very uh, um, burdensome too with all the work that you do in the PT program. And I cannot sugarcoat it and say that being in a PhD program is any easier, but you do get plenty of support as well. So it's not like you're just going off there in the PhD world and and everything's just coming at you at once and you don't have any help at all. I mean, you you have your PhD advisor, you have the other professors around. Again, at, at a place like UNC, um, there's plenty of support from other disciplines too. So yeah, kind of like what Luis said, just not be afraid to talk to others, network with others. Um, there's certainly somebody who had a similar path as you when you come in. Well, thank you guys so much. No problem. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah, yeah thank yeah. you for having us. APT podcasts like this one are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. I'm Amelia Sullivan. Thanks for listening.